Welcome to A Voice in the Distance Ministries, as we are today going to be covering in the book of Exodus, chapter 36 and 37, together. And uh, today what I'm going to be doing is I'm going to be doing some uh, some reading and, ex- and some explaining between the two chapters. I'm going to be reading some key verses, but explaining other things, because between uh, the two chapters, as we've seen in some other chapters, was strictly explaining materials. Uh, basically material by material. And I gotta say, Moses was very meticulous in, in explaining all of these things. Um, but again, I, I don't feel the need to read off, um, everything in the form of what was, uh, put in here in the forms of every piece of gold, uh, metal, uh, 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 pieces of, of uh, tapestry and whatever have you, but I will read key verses of things of importance. But again, not that none of this other was uh, any less important, but it, it was, again, there's so much detail that uh, it could actually throw us off a little bit in looking at some of the things on what God was trying to do with this. But again, glory be to God and His Word for not just... Um, not just again, just for the the simple things, but also for the uh, for the details. The, such the such great detail was put in in making known what was in this. And again, the, the reason being was because this particular tabernacle that was built and and these particular blueprints were the tabernacle that was in heaven that God had given Moses the design of. Everything from the colors, everything from the gold, the silver, the wood, from the placements of the tables, and I mean every everything that was in there was designed by God who was the architect, and Moses and particular people, actually a lot of other people that were um, involved in this process, were the ones who got to be the contractors. They got to be the, the laborers. They got to be a part of all of these things. And you had the, the, you had the contributors, because God had provided for the people... When they were leaving Egypt and going through the Exodus, God provided all of the material... I mean, when they when they left, you would think like, okay, they had to pack up their stuff and they had to go quickly. And of course, they wouldn't have had so many things. But what they were what they were giving was many parting gifts, many parting gifts from their Egyptian neighbors: gold, silver, jewelry, clothing, materials. I mean, whatever it was that they could give, they gave to the people that was put on their that was put on their heart by God Himself. And, and so what an amazing thing that, that all of these things were provided because they're traveling through a vast desert. We're talking about two million people. And, and so what a glorious thing to have, have seen and, and what a glorious thing to have witnessed in God's word that, that how he works in such mysterious ways and how he works in the hearts of people, whether it be his own people or whether in the hearts of those who are considered enemies. Only God could do that. And, and praise and, and glory and honor be to Him for those things. So as we go through chapter, we're going to start in chapter 36. And we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 7 through the continual praise, glory, and honor. Um, we're going to be looking here at chapter 36, verse 1 through 7 says, And Bezalel and Ahiloab and every gifted artesian whom the Lord had, has put wisdom and understanding to know how to do all manner of work for the service of the sanctuary shall do according to all that the Lord has commanded. And then Moses and Bezaliel and Ahiloab and every gifted artesian in whose heart the Lord had put wisdom, everyone whose heart was stirred to come and do the work. 
And they received from Moses all the offering which the children of Israel had brought for, for the work of the service of making the sanctuary. So they continued bringing to him free will offerings every morning. And then all the craftsmen who were doing all the work of the sanctuary came, each from the work he was doing. And they spoke to Moses, saying, The people bring much more than enough for the service of the work which the Lord commanded us to do. So Moses gave a commandment, and they caused it to be proclaimed throughout the camp, saying, Let neither man nor woman do any more work. For the offering of the sanctuary and the people were restrained from bringing. For the material they had was sufficient for all the work to be done. Indeed, too much. Now, in the explaining of these chapters, it, again, it is strictly in what was used for the tabernacle, as I mentioned earlier. But again, the fascinating thing was the hearts. The hearts that were stirred, okay? The people bring much more than what, than what was actually needed. And by the integrity of Moses, it was seen by the fact that the extra things that were brought were actually returned to the people. He was not going to take any more than what, than what was needed. But yet, see, the people were willing, And we see that God gives more than one could handle at times. It looks as if the people that were giving items just kept it flowing. And it's amazing the picture, how how everyone traveled with all these items through the desert, and and yet the tabernacle will be brought up and set up as as they travel around. Now, this was not necessarily to build and keep it going by, by man's design, but to do it strictly by the design of God. As it was designed for God, but yet the people got to be a part of it. You know, I, I have heard of uh, pastors, there's this one specifically in, in England, in the United Kingdom. By hobby and passion, he used to, uh, he used to design church buildings, okay, modern ones of our day. That was, a, it was a hobby of his, he said. I've never heard of such a thing. But it was a, his passion and hobby. And how amazing is that? But I, I've never heard of such a thing that someone did outside of, of, of doing so from making a living as an architect. But now again, God designed this tabernacle. Because there is a replica in heaven, and they were given the blueprints and the color schemes for this one on earth for the time being. And that will be a 40-year travel period. So, here's the thing, right? They could have been in the promised land in 11 days or so. But due to disobedience, they will be traveling for 40 years. And 40 is a number that represents the number of judgment or also a number for trial. Uh, but, but one thing that I want to focus on, I want to focus on is, is, is two names that were mentioned in the first few verses, Bezaliel and Ahiliab. These two men were blessed with abilities in, in building and, and leading. And they were given the ability on the spot by God. But see, I, I mentioned before that, that it's not always one's ability. I've said this before, that it's one's availability that God can bless you with, with the talents. But your availability will expose the heart. Okay, Availability exposes the heart and what you're willing to do in your call. And when someone's name is mentioned in the Bible, it was due to something in honor and blessings. Or it was in the opposite of one who did wrong, maybe one who was cursed or or killed due to something of blasphemy. Because we look at other books, hundreds of names are recorded in the Bible, right? Who who had part in, in building things like the walls around Jerusalem, 
um, other things throughout the years. Okay, their, their names are in the Word of God in an honorable form. But again, you, you may not have a certain talent. And that is perfectly fine because all get to do something in His glory. Whatever your ability is comes together when we assemble in His name. And when we come together to do His work and by His will, it is amazing what I have seen people do when willing hearts are there together. Even in just a few people, a kingdom can be built when those who come, come for the Lord. When they come for the Lord and when they've come from the Lord. Now, in... in um, in chapter uh, in chapter thirty six, uh, we're going to be. I'm just going to explain very brief, uh, briefly verses eight through thirty eight, uh, because I'll explain the rest of the chapter of thirty six. Because again, all it does it documents all the material that was used in the tabernacle. And these were cur- uh, curtains, levers, and they were loops out of gold, silver, uh, acacia wood. And there was also some animal skins that were dyed in blue and, and some other colors. Okay, The typical material that's used in, in the building of tents were the animal skins. Now, uh, even in modern day tents, uh, in our day and age, in the Middle East, uh, they're still made out of animals, animal skins because of the durability and, and also weather conditions are they're, they're actually best used with these particular skins. And, and there have actually been some some replicas uh, models, if you will, of the tabernacle that people have made because of the description used in these chapters. So if you are into design, if you like to watch design shows and all that stuff, right? And and if you want to picture. What this was made out of in all the material, check out the chapter and read it in its entirety. But what I want to do now is I want to jump into chapter 37. Because, because the rest of 36, all that did was basically explain strictly the materials. But if you have, if you have, a, um, if you have a good visual eye of, of something that could be put together in the form of... Um, of a photographic memory, I guess, you know, take, go ahead and give it a go. Take a look and, and, and see what you could come up with. Now, it probably wouldn't compare to the design, but, you know, again, people have built models uh, of, of of something that would have been pretty much right on the spot of, or at least close to. Now, in chapter 37, I'm going to start us off in verse 1 through 9. Because now what's going to happen now is something very important is going to be made here in, in what we call the Ark of the, of the Covenant, the Ark of the Testimony. In verse 1 through 9 of 37, it says, Then Bezaliel made the Ark of Acacia wood. Two and a half cubits was its length. A cubit and a half its width. And a cubit and a half its height. He overlaid it with pure gold inside and outside and made a molding... Uh, of gold around it and he cast for it four rings of gold to be set in its four corners two rings on the one side and two rings on the other side and he made poles of acacia wood and overlaid them with gold and he put the poles into the rings of the sides of the ark to bear the ark he also made the mercy seat of pure gold two and a half cubits was its length and a cubit and a half was its width he made two cherubim of beaten gold, and he made them of one piece at the two ends of the mercy seat. One cherub was uh, one end and on the other end on that side. And he made the cherubim at the two ends of 
one piece with the mercy seat. The cherubim spread out their wings above and covered the mercy seat with their wings, and they faced one another. And the faces of the cherubim were toward the mercy seat. Now, the Ark of the Covenant was now built, and it was a fairly large box. It it will have gold rings around it so it can be carried uh, by a pole. And and it won't be carried by just anyone, but it will be carried by those in the Levite priesthood. Those who are related to Aaron. And, and it will have gold cherubim on the top. And the cherubim are the angels that are in... Uh, these were the angelic rank of defenders of heaven. Very powerful angels in heaven. And these were defenders. Now, this ark was a symbol of God's covenant with the people. And it was Israel's most sacred object, as it would be around hundreds of years after it's built even. This ark would be around for hundreds of years. And inside the ark were the Ten Commandments. Um, uh, Aaron's rod will be in there later. And there's going to be at least one or two more items that will be inside of the ark. But the interesting thing is that no one was to touch the ark, okay? Especially someone outside of the priesthood. Why? Because the presence and power of God was in it. And if someone did touch it, they would die right on the spot because of the power involved. This actually happened in the book of 1 Samuel. Um, What had happened was the ark was on a... It was being carried on something, like a wagon of sorts, if I remember correctly. and, And it was about to fall off. And someone, just out of panic, as most of us would do, tried to catch it. They tried to catch it, and then when they when they did, they fell dead on the spot. Because why? Because he knew better, right? The person that went after it knew better, and and it was advised not to touch. Now, also in First Samuel, the ark would be stolen during the uh, during a battle, and what had happened was is that the high priest at the time. When he found out that the ark was uh, uh, that the ark was uh, stolen, he actually fell backward out of his chair, breaking his neck. Right, and, and so he he passed out and he fell backwards and broke his neck. That is how precious the ark is to the people. It, it would be held in the most holy of holies. And, and the back room of the tabernacle is where this is. And, and once a uh, once a year, the priest would go in for atonement for the sins of the people. So that's where the Ark of the Covenant would be held. Now, the back section was not just for anyone as well. It, it was for the assigned and the anointed priest. And in fact, if there was any defilement in the priest before he would go in, the priest would automatically fall dead on the spot. Because they were required to be cleansed of any iniquity before going in. Because the the presence of God is that holy. And and the ark was a part of that presence. Now, what happened to it, uh, we're not sure. We don't know what happened to it or where it's at. I mean, there's there's been some speculation. Uh, Some believe it could be hidden somewhere in an undisclosed area, perhaps. But, see, God did something special with it. And we're not sure, but it had been around for hundreds of years in protective quarters until the first temple uh, will be built. But remember, God is not confined to a box, and his presence is everywhere. So now I want to continue here as we uh, observe chapter 37. And in chapter 37, I'm going to... um, let me see here. Uh, verses uh, 10 through 16, I will explain um, in, in those particular uh, verses. 
Now, in chapter 37 and verses 10 through 16, which is, will be explained, what it has to do is with the, uh, the making of the table for the showbread. And, and this, uh, what this does is it gives basically uh, the design of a table. And in the entrance, there was a table to be built. And, and that will be what holds the, the showbread that I talked about. And what it is is it was two stacks of bread. And it was six loaves on each stack, making 12 loaves. And, and each loaf represented the 12 tribes of Israel. So every afternoon, old loaves were to be replaced with new ones. And, and, and they were uh, given to the priest to eat. So basically nothing was ever gone to waste. Because it was replenished by, the, by a certain time, but it was given to the priest. So that way they, they ate what, it was, uh, uh, what was baked and then they would replace it with the new. And it was a reminder of the abundance of what God did uh, when he provided for the people. Now, we have to remember that manna fell from the sky every day. And enough manna to provide for about 2 million people or so. And when the temple will be built, it would be seen by all who showed for the three feasts. Okay, There were three feasts that, were, that everybody was required to come in that year. And they were shown the table first and then the showbread to look and to observe what God did. And uh, the Jewish Talmud, the, the Jewish Talmud is a, another book that the Jews had spent uh, uh, many, many years writing, which was a basically, um, it, was, it was like a, a book of, uh, of, of rules, laws, and, and, and stories, if you will. I mean, another book that has years and years of, of reading involved. And the Jewish Talmud actually explains particular things about this. But in the basic outlook... This was the reason for the showbread. I, I gave the basic outlook of, of what God had, uh, had given. But there, was, uh, there were some other particular things that was explained in the, um, in the Talmud. Now, in verses 17 to 24, I'm going to explain that in, in chapter 37, which had to do with the gold lampstands. And now the gold lampstand was now mentioned and it was formed out of a large piece of gold and it had, uh, it had seven candle holders in it. And it will be toward the front of the, of the entrance there to shed light because there was no windows, no, no windows are in the tabernacle. So it, it was the first form of light as they would enter inside. And it was a, it was a very beautiful design. It had uh, branches with, with flower blossoms. And you could read the verses on the specific designs, but seven holders all together, and seven is the number of completion or perfection. And what's interesting is in the book of Revelation, if you've ever read that, in the book of Revelation there was seven lampstands in John's vision. And those seven lampstands represented seven churches that are spoken to in the form of the modern day churches. But see, in this... In, in, in this, there is light to be in all aspects, right? The first form of light is in the courtyard. And it is lit by the sun. Uh, the second was the lampstand in the entrance. And in the back, in the back in the Holy of Holies, will be the light of God with His presence. So we call it the Shekinah glory. And the Shekinah glory and the illumination of the presence of God. So, so light, basically, light is all over the tabernacle. 
And in Jewish tradition, it teaches that the lampstand was about five feet in height and three feet in width. And the lampstands were to stay lit. And, and it, they were to be done by Aaron and his sons, the priesthood. And, and the light was to never go out because it was a representation of Israel being the light. Now, the design of it was in the design of like a, like a tree with branches and blossoms. And it was made with pure gold. Now, why gold? Simply because it was the most precious and valuable of metals. But it was also refined by fire. And gold is tested by fire. And the hotter the fire, the more refined and the more pure the gold it would be. It would be the testing of the people and the testing of the church will be in the same form of a refining time. And just like Israel was to be a light to the world, Christ is the light of the world. As many things we see in this point, and in this point to Christ as as the true light, and by Him we get to shine. Through Him we shine as He dwells in us. Because Jesus also said that He was the bread of life. So another thing to see in the showbread, as it was in the twelve tribes, He was from the tribe of Judah. So, may we see him in all things as we continue to go on. And then we're going to look at, uh, uh, I'm going to read verses 25 to 29 to you. In chapter uh, 37. And we're going to be looking at the altar of incense. And he says, and, and he made the incense altar of acacia wood. Its length was a cubit and its width a cubit. It was square and two cubits was its height. Its horns were of one piece with it. And he overlaid it with pure gold, its top, its sides all around, its horns. He also made it of a molding of gold all around it. He made two rings of gold for, for it under its molding. By its two corners on both sides as holders for the poles with, um, with which to bear it. And he made the poles of acacia wood and overlaid them with gold. And he also made the holy anointing oil and the pure incense of sweet spices according to the work of the perfumer. And that's the end of chapter 37. See, the, the incense was a worship. Uh, it was an aroma sent up to heaven. And, and there would be a special a special altar for it. And, and this would be in the form of ancient perfume making, or, or maybe even essential oils, either one, as it was used uh, it was used to offer up to God. And, and when we look at the important factors of how they worship God, we can see that there was such detail, right? Such great detail. Uh, Jesus said in the Gospels that, that man wasn't made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made for man. And, and we try to set apart one day with God and for God, but in, in true love and worship, we should seek Him daily. I, I myself have a hard time when I'm away from my sons. I, I want to see them, I want to hear them, I want to hug them every day. And when I don't see them on certain days, it's very hard. And God has a very deep love for His children. For you, whoever, whoever is listening, He loves you and, and wants to be in fellowship with you. We, we may not light incense and other things, but 
that, that we have observed from, the, from these times instructed to the Jewish people, but time in the Word, time in prayer, time in singing and praising, just meditating on God and being with Him. You know, I, I think of what the late Billy Graham said as he was in his late 90s, and this was, in, he was I think he was 97 years old, in his prayers he says to God, I just, you know, I just can't wait to be with you and see you. That's what he said. He said that himself. God is up there and waiting for us to take part with him here first on earth in receiving him. Next is receiving direction from him, and that is a wonderful time to, to hear from God like Moses did. Now, how do we hear from him? Well, in many different ways. As, as for me, a lot of times, it is out of nowhere. And it's in the least expected time. Especially when it is something that was uh, not even on my mind. You know, he delivers something profound, far from my own wisdom. And that's how I know that it's from him. Now, for those that may have never known God or much about God, there is a special time that, that one has with him. When you feel the want or the desire to come to him and to say, I believe in the Lord and I want the Lord. There have been many amazing testimonies of people, encounters with the Lord. And these were people who denied his existence and some that knew he existed, but they just never wanted anything to do with God. See, this is an encouragement to receive his son Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior. And by that, it, has, it gives you a place in heaven when your time is up on earth. See, there is always a need for God, no matter how rich or poor, how happy or sad one is, in the best or worst of times, we all need the Lord. But the question is, is how much of a want is there for Him? See, He wants you no matter what you have done, where you have been, because He will take you and change you. But you have to be willing because God never forces His way in. You cannot force your way to Him because He welcomes you. The Lord may have been the last resort for you. And maybe He's brought you here. And by receiving Him... He must now be first uh, to come uh, and, not, and not in the last resort. He must be the steering wheel in your life, not the spare tire. If you're willing to receive Him, well then He is willing to receive you. There's something very important that to remember what the Bible says about God. The Bible says to God that to, to draw near to Him and He will draw near to you. And why wouldn't we want to be near the creator of, of the universe? Why would we not want to be near the savior of the world who died for, for the sins of all? The savior who came and, and fed people that were hungry, thousands of people. He healed people that were sick. You know, he even ate dinner with people, tax collectors. He hung out with people that most people in society would never have anything to do with. Why, why would we not want to be with him? He wants to be with us, don't matter where you've been or what you've done. He still wants you. But again, there must be a want for him. 
you know it's interesting when I hear people say, "Oh no, I'm good. I don't I don't need him. I don't need I don't need God. I'm doing just fine." Oh boy. You know, that is when you really need him. You need him all the time. You know, don't matter how good or bad because there's going to come a point in our lives when our day is up. And that is when it's really going to matter. So right now I want to give the opportunity to give you a ticket A ticket to meet the Lord, it's a free ticket to be with Him that He is offering to you. And if you want that, if you want that salvation, and if you, if you look at yourself and you say, I don't want to, I don't want to live in the way I've been living anymore. I want my life to change. I want my marriage to change. I want my, I want everything to change. Only He could do that for you. And only He could forgive you for whatever that has been done and remold you into a new image. But you have to receive Him. You have to let Him in. Because He's going to let you in as soon as you say, I want Him. And it's real simple. It's through prayer. And if you feel led, I want you to repeat it after me. And by saying it, you're saying it in the truth of your heart to receive Him as your Lord, your Savior, and your Father. So I want you to repeat after me if you want to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. Dear Father, please forgive me. Forgive me of all of my sins. As I confess to you, Lord, that I am a sinner. And I ask of you, Lord, to cleanse me of all of my sins. And to wash me of everything. Is Father, I now receive you in my heart as my Lord and my Savior. Come into my heart now, Lord, as I am now a part of you and you are a part of me. May we walk together for all of my days and may I be a part of you, Lord. And may I be with you. When my time comes, Lord, as I receive you as my Father and my Savior, my Lord, as I love you, I thank you for dying for me, and I thank you for receiving me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Oh, I certainly hope you uh, you said that prayer, because it's, it's the greatest decision you could have ever made in your life. Receiving Him is, is a, an eternal... And a precious gift. And so, I want to welcome you into the family of Christ. You know, there's millions of people around the world now that you're related to. Different countries, different creeds, colors, races. All brought together by the love of God. So may you be welcomed and may you feel the love of the Holy Spirit as you are now with Him and a part of Him, and we'll all be together one day in His kingdom of heaven. Much love to you, and God bless you all.